Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Good morning, church. Good to be here, yes? Always, always good to be in the house of God and come around the Word of God and be together around the people of God and worship together, amen? It is a good thing. Well, uh, this morning, um, I, please uh, forgive me for, uh, I don't have my, my PowerPoint this morning that I worked on so tirelessly. <laughs> um, uh, because I work on a Mac, and because I totally forgot to convert it to a PowerPoint, I now have to uh, get you guys to work a little bit harder. And grab your Bible. <laughs> Can you grab it? If you've got your paper Bible, just hold it up in the air for me. Okay. If you've got your iPhone, your Samsung, whatever it is, smartphone, grab that. And uh, I want you to turn to James for me. James. James chapter 1. And uh, you're going to do a little bit of work along with me and flipping pages and clicking pages and because I don't have a PowerPoint. So, it's not going to affect me in any way. It's just going to affect you. <laughs> but hopefully in a good way so that you can look at the Word of God with me. Um, although I think um, the girls at the back have done a fantastic job just trying and pull some verses together. Um, they are fantastic. So, let's. Uh, we started off a series last week. Uh, we're doing a series on the book of James. And um, last week was fantastic in a portion of Scripture where it just talked about um, counting it joy and counting counting it all joy when we actually uh, face trials of various kinds. It's a crazy amount of text there that talks about how we have to, um, you know, be joyous in amongst amongst trials and in amongst pressures. And and, um, that's a crazy thought, right? Because... The one thing we, the, the last thing we want to do is when we meet a trial is to actually be joyful in it. But James exhorts us in this, in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, and when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and the steadfastness has its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's actually a good thing. It's good for you that we get to face trials. So it's actually going to build us up. It's what we found out last week. And, we, and it talked about as well wisdom in amongst those trials to have wisdom. Because we can't do this on our own. It's hard, right? We need God's wisdom. And so we pick up in verse 9, James chapter 1, verse 9. It says, and we're going look, to look, look, look at all the way through chapter 18. So not chapter, verse. <coughs> there is no 18 chapters. Anyway. Uh, verse verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So this is reading from the ESV. If um, you've got your phone, you can turn to ESV. If not, NIV, New King James, that'll work. Uh, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. 
Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's living, it's powerful, it um, transforms the unregenerated heart, and it keeps us Christians in the path of life. And I ask this morning that you would continue to encourage us, exhort us as we read this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. It's, um, it's difficult for us to keep what is important, important in our lives. Would you agree? Often... The things that are not so important rise up to the level of importance and the level and, the, and what should be important in our, in our lives descends to the level that shouldn't really be. That, I believe, is a struggle that we all face in our, in our life, a struggle of keeping the main thing the main thing, and uh, it, it extends to all areas in our life. Where do we find our, our deepest, most satisfying joy? Where, where do we get our deepest joy from? What is important to us? What do we hold in esteem? That's essentially the questions that I'm asking this morning, which reflects on a lot of what the message is about. Um, but let's have a look at verse 9 here. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Verse 10 says, And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, and the flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This verse of Scripture isn't talking about the fact that it's wrong to, be, to, to have wealth. It's not saying that at all. But it, what it is saying is something so powerfully so powerful and so wonderful. In essence, the, in, in order to understand really the, this, this portion of the text is, is we know that James is actually speaking to Christians. He's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. That's a bizarre verse, right? But we need to understand that uh, this essentially is a poor person, a poor man, a Christian, and the poor man, can, although he has nothing in this life, he is not esteemed in culture. This is the type of person we would not even look at twice. I don't know, in case you didn't realize it, but you and I live in a materialistic, pleasure-centered, despiritualized 
no eternity culture. Let me say that again. We live in a materialistic, pleasure-centered, despiritualized, no eternity culture. We live in this type of culture today, now. And uh, it's actually difficult to live in a culture that's like this and not be affected by it. Would you agree? It's actually difficult to be uh, someone who has, as the Word of God says, to keep your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth, to live in a culture that is so materialistic, pleasure-centered, self-centered, rather than Christ-centered and, and, and heavenly-minded and thinking about others rather than yourself. It's completely countercultural. And for us as Christians who sit in this world, this, this world that is literally like this, I mean, look at the ads on TV. They're all about you. They're all about how you can get satisfaction out of this product, device, uh, house, car. It's all about how you can get satisfied with all these things that literally bring no satisfaction, no ultimate joy. In fact, it always disappoints. Would you agree? How often, I mean, we uh, get a new thing, a new device, and uh, we're so excited about it. And uh, then it eventually becomes old. I mean, the phone that I thought I had was new is no longer new. I have the... What is it? iPhone 6S or something like that? The 7's out. It's old. It's, it's old by its standard of the world, right? Um, thing is this, is, is the, world will never, the, the, the world will never ultimately satisfy us. And uh, this, verse, this, this portion here is saying this, that the lowly man or the poor man boasts in his exaltation. In other words, is this, Although this man has nothing that the culture can look at him and go, wow, he's someone, he has everything because he's in Christ. He has everything because he's in Christ. Because by the miracle of the grace of God, he, he has been invited into a personal relationship with the King of Kings and know he has nothing. And although he is poor, he can say, I am rich. Amen? He's been given the gift of gifts, the treasure of treasures, and he's been accepted by the um, justifying grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man is actually rich. By the culture's, culture's standard, he's poor. But by the kingdom's standard, he's rich. And that is the greatest treasure that we can ever have. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Because now it looks at the rich man, the rich man in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. What it's saying here is essentially, let's be honest, we're not the poor man. We're the rich man. We're the rich people. So this verse can essentially uh, bring, uh, uh, James what he's doing is bringing a pastoral reminder of the beauty of the gospel by saying that although we have so much, it is nothing in comparison to what we have in heaven. 
Amen? To what we have in Christ, it is nothing. And in fact, it'll all perish. It'll all die away. Therefore, we don't accumulate earthly treasures, but we must have treasures in heaven. So the accumulation of wealth, the accumulation of of things on this earth, it's talking, it's, it's a pastoral reminder to us to not boast in our richness, but you know what? We are humiliated, we, we, we are humbled by the fact that the rich man and the poor man stand on equal, um, we are on equal standing with Christ. Grace, grace, what it does is absolutely levels the playing field. Isn't that wonderful? The wonderful message of the gospel is that no matter who it is, no matter who you are, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, is that if, if you have come to realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, He died for your sins, He died the, 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 the death we should have died, He lived the life we should have lived, and, and that he, 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 he stood in our place so that we didn't have to bear the wrath of God, but He did it for us. He absorbed the wrath of the Father. And, and if we place our faith in Him, we have His righteousness. In other words, we are made righteous in Him. We, we, are, we are seen as perfect. And then that becomes our, our identity. Amen? It's a wonderful reminder of, of the gospel. It's beautiful. Now verse 12 says, The blessed man, oh, sorry, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. This is going back to last week's message. James is reiterating the fact that when we go through trials, when we have stood the test, we receive the crown of life, meaning eternal life. Meaning that we we can't count it joy, all joy. We get Jesus in the end. Isn't that a wonderful, awesome thing to get excited about? Amen? You may be going through trial. You may be going through tough uh, situation. But uh, know this, that as we saw in, in the first portion of James there, is that we should count it joy because it actually benefits us. We are very quick to try and get out of the mess rather than actually walk with Jesus in the mess. Let, let God do the work that He needs to do in our hearts because this is true. That God will take us where we haven't intended to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. Let me say that again. God will take us where we haven't intended to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. So a mark of genuine faith in Christ is an enduring through a suffering and a trial. And just as we face trials and respond to them, you see it as a, as a mark of, of faith and it strengthens us. So how do we deal with this next portion, which is temptation? Because verse 13 says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God tests his people so that their character is strengthened, 
mark this, that he never, ever tempts. He never, ever tempts. God will try you for the purpose of refinement, but he will never tempt you. So God cannot, and God will not ever tempt you to sin. He won't ever seduce you into sin. That would be literally a violation of his character because he is holy. Amen? So we're probably thinking, um, well, I have never uh, accused God of tempting me before to sin. Uh, or maybe, well, well, if we think about it, maybe we have in a roundabout way. <laughs> um, when we say, uh, if only I had a more understanding spouse, I wouldn't be so irritable. <laughs> Let's have a look. If, if, if my children weren't so disobedient, I mean, I'll wake up happy in the morning. But by the, in, uh, the afternoon, I turn into Hulk. I turn into this person, this, 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 this person that, 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 that rages at my children. God, if only you had given me more obedient children. If, if only, I don't know, this, I, 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 this is my weak point. Do you want to hear it? If only when you're on the highway and you're on the fast lane and someone's doing 80 when, they're doing, when you're meant to be doing 100, and so you're driving, and you're like this far away from them. And, and yep. Talk to my wife. She, 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 Hulk comes out. So you're, you're literally driving there, and they eventually pull to the left, as the sign says they should. And you're driving, and you give them the look. The evil stare. <laughs> what were you doing in the fast lane? If only I was a cop. A hundred dollars. Fine. Is that what it is? Something like that. If only people weren't so such bad drivers on the road, I'd, it wouldn't bring out the evil in me and, and, and it wouldn't cause me to, to behave the way I am. Uh, what we like to do often is that we start to point to things outside of us and we like to shift the blame for our sin. We like to shift the blame for our behaviors. In a subtle way, we're saying, God, if, if, only, you've been, if only you've given me a better boss, I, I, I wouldn't be so angry at work and therefore I could witness and be a better light in the world as I should be. Um, it's actually... A, it's actually the very sin nature to blame. To blame. Now, if you've got your Bibles, which you do, I know you do because you said you did, uh, go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. So Genesis chapter 3, have a look at this. This is the very beginning. This is as old as sin. This is as old. This is crazy. Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Have a look what happened here in the garden. verse 8 says this and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord 
God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Behold, I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you to eat? The man said, Well, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. He could have simply said, Yes, God, I did, I ate. But he shifted the blame. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. (laughs) What is this tendency in human nature to blame someone or something outside of us? What happened here is essentially Adam is saying, yes, it's the woman, the woman that you created. I mean, the guy had never seen a woman before and yet, The next day he woke up and he was married to one. (laughs) But he cannot blame the woman, nor can he blame or should he blame God. The woman essentially said it's the, the snake God that did this, that pretty much you created. The blame essentially is going to God. The blame is, God, if only this, if only that, if only this. What we like to do naturally is look at things and outside of us for the sin that we commit. We do it very often. What a terrible thing it is to blame God for your sin. But that's the tendency of fallen flesh to shift the responsibility. Um. So James 12 says, Blessed is the man who is steadfast under trial, right? Verse 13, Let no one say he's tempted when he's being tempted. Uh, if, if he says, I'm being tempted by God, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, right? But, but, but uh, the, the difference is this. How we respond, how we respond to a trial with obedience. Sorry, if you respond to a trial with obedience, then you will find a means of spiritual growth. And if you respond to a trial with disobedience, it may turn into a temptation, leaving you open to fall prey into sin, temptation. Every trial has the potential to become a temptation depending on our response, our response. And verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God. That is an exhortation for us that forbids that anyone can blame God. We should not be blaming God. God is not responsible for temptation. James will not allow that kind of thinking. And it is not, and if he's not responsible for our, for our temptation, he cannot be responsible for the sin that results from that temptation. So this is the question. I'm asking two questions this morning. It's question number one. If I fall into sin, whose fault is it? And question number two is this. If I'm a believer, then why do I still sin? So I'm going to look at that. If I fall into sin, whose fault is it? Is it God's fault who brings me the trial and allows them into my life? No. Is it the fault of my circumstances? No. Although some people have had very, very, very tough circumstances, but it is not the circumstance fault. Is it the fault of me being created by the way, the way that God created me and it's just the way I am and I can't help it? Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? We're going to have a look at this. It's actually only ever the evil inside of you that hooks you to the evil outside of you. 
because verse 14 in James gives you the answer. Ready? Have a look at this. Verse 14 says this, but each person is tempted when he is, what? Lured and enticed by his own desire. There's the answer. It's not the evil outside of you. It's actually the evil inside of you that causes us to sin. We cannot, we cannot say that God is tempting me. Then desire, verse 15, then desire when he has conceived gives birth to sin. There's a progress here. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. The only thing that sin brings is death ultimately. Therefore, sin, there is nothing else that sin does but produce death. But so verse 13, again, let Sorry, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he was lured. Lured. That is a fishing metaphor, right? What does Shane do when he casts out? You know, you've got, it's crazy how people fish and get fit. I've fished probably about five times. I've caught no fish. I, there's a, there, I'm, there is a specific way, I'm sure, to, to, to lure the bait or use the right bait for the right fish to lure that type of fish to the bait. Right? Is that true? Because I have no idea about fishing. <laughs> That's right. Talk to Shane. So, 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 we are lured away by our own desire. Our own desire. This is the thing. It is a heart problem. And it's hard for us to believe this because we always want to believe that we're good. We always want to believe the best in us. We always want to believe that we are the center of our lives, the, the, the ultimate, and there's always good in us, and, and it's all about us. When in actual fact, our hearts are evil. And we are lured by our own desires into temptation and sin. Have a look at this. It's consistent with Scripture. The Bible actually develops a very extensive theology of the heart. Scripture says that the heart is the control center of our being, the core of, of our personhood, and, and what rules our heart will control your words and your actions. And, 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 and sin is always a heart problem, not merely a, a, a behavioral problem. That's why we don't modify our behaviors. We, mod we, we, we ask Jesus to transform our heart because the behavior is the fruit of what's going on in your heart. So what religion does, it says, do this, do that, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing that, and change your behavior. But God says, come to me in faith and I will transform your heart. I will take the heart out of stone and put a heart of flesh in you and you will desire, you will desire me. And that is actually something you and I cannot do. Period. We need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to open our hearts and do heart surgery to the point where he changes our heart, puts a new one in. And then our mind gets transformed and it is a, 
process of Christianity and it never ends until we see Jesus face to face in heaven one day. Jesus marked these words in Mark 7. He said this, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensualities, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Can he say anything else? All these evil things come from within. They defile a person. We cannot shift the blame on other things externally externally for our sin. It is a heart problem. It is a heart problem. So therefore, we need the gospel. We need Jesus every day. Because every day, every day, there is something that I say that I should not have said. Every day when I am driving and I get frustrated, See, the thing is this, we're not going to go out and kill. We're not going to go out and steal. We're not going to, you know, habitually lie. We're not going to do those things, but we are going to speak wrongly to our children. We, we, may, we may hurt our spouse in the way we speak, in the way we act. That is still sin. We don't blame circumstances. It's the heart. But, but, but I know this sounds terrible, Oh gosh, what a message. Like, I'm going to walk out of here and, and just feel like horrible. Well, well, if I stop there, you probably will. <laughs> but, I, but if you give me, I've got five minutes, but if you give me ten. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh man. Uh, so we need the gospel. We need Jesus every day. We need Jesus today as much as we did when we needed Jesus for our salvation. So question number two. So why do we still sin? <laughs> Just, why? Because there are actually still within you desires that are out of accord with the will of God. Um, <laughs> there still remains a, what's called a wall within right? A wall within. This is the wrestle of the spirit and the wrestle of the flesh. And this should lead us, lead us to our knees to the Father and say, Father, we are people in desperate need of you every day. I need you, Jesus. Please help me to parent right. Please help me to be the right spouse because I stuff up every day. Every day. Every day. I need you, Jesus. I need the transforming power of the Holy Spirit every day to be led by the Spirit every day. Every day. We need His grace. How? Where do I get this idea that the heart is still, that, that even though I'm a Christian, I still sin, and there's still, there's, a still an, there's still a flesh problem there? Well, Paul had the same issue in Romans 7. I want you to turn there. Romans 7, Romans 7 15. It says this. I'll say quickly. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. That's the key. For I had the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
I don't, have, I don't care how many steps I give you, you cannot carry out the good. It's not the ability in you. We actually need to turn to Christ. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Verse 22 goes on to say, For I delight in the law of God in the inner being, but I see in my members, in my body, in my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin and, and, and death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. He's making a statement of fact. It goes on to chapter 8, which I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but the good news is there. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And he gives the gospel that Christ came to die for our sins and that we need to have just place our faith in him and he's going to do the work that needs to be done in our hearts. Amen. But the thing is this, the war is still the war of the flesh and the war of the spirit. Paul had this issue, this issue, I need a tissue. Um, we need to understand. So there are, there are practicalities. The Bible does teach us that there's practicalities of overcoming the flesh. Ready? Gonna go. This is going to go rocket fast. Acknowledgement of sin. If we say that we have no sin, we actually deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. That's in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He'll forgive our sins. Walk in the Spirit. If you have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but the Christ, but Christ who lives in me, and the life which, and the life which, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith. Live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Even so, I consider yourselves to dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. We're dead to sin, alive to alive to Christ. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16 but, but, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. And your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. It's just practical. But hear this. You try that on your own, you'll fall flat on your face. You do that in the Spirit, which is His strength, And that's where we succeed. And that's the difference. And I'm about to conclude. So the bank can come up if they like. James turns then his attention, these last verses of Scripture, and this could be another whole sermon. But Jesus turns his attention to the goodness of God in contrast to the fact that God never tempts. He says this in verse 16. In James, back to James. Do not... Deceive, so do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. You know, in, in other words, do not be deceived about the fact that, that God tempts you. He doesn't tempt you. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, He doesn't change. He only gives good gifts. Verse 18, out of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. Out of His own will, He brought us out of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, the gospel, his will, 
the reason why you and I are seated here this morning is because of Him. Amen. That we should be the kind of first fruits of His creatures. We are designed to worship God, to make much of Him, to place our faith in Him, to have joy in Him, to be satisfied by Him, and not be tempted and lured by the things of the world. And our desires need to be matching up with His desires. He does a transforming work initially, and He continues that transforming work in our lives for the rest of our life. Amen? He does the rest of the work, right? And we can stand like the poor man. Even though we have everything in this life that we live, we have a lot. But we can see as a poor man these things that we possess, that we have, that are things that we accumulate, they're nothing. They will fade away. So the pastoral reminder is set your eyes on Him. Set your affections on Him. Gain your satisfaction from Christ. Uh, If you don't love reading the Word, don't beat yourself up for it. Because it's a wrestle of the flesh with the Spirit. I often, I'll be honest, I often don't want to read the Bible. I just want to watch a movie. Last thing I want to do when I get back from work is open up the Bible and read. I, I want to watch a movie. But, but, <laughs> the thing is this, this will bring life um, can, you, can, I just, can you just pray, God, can you please alter my desire from the stuff to you, please? That's all we have to do. Like, God, can, can you just alter my affections from this to you? Can you please do a work in my heart to, to, to alter the affections of stuff to you? And then you begin to glory in Him. And actually, He gets all the glory because He's done all the work. So, so we just surrender. And we just walk in humility. Amen. Um, let's, let's just play a song. And stand. Stand. And we can rejoice. Because there is no condemnation for those in Christ. No condemnation. And this is actually all a reminder of our identity in Christ. Often we need to be reminded of who we really are and not walk in the ways of the world. We need to be reminded constantly. And if, and if you're here this morning and and you say, well, I don't walk in Christ. I actually don't. I'm not in Him. I don't, I'm not a Christian. I don't have any affection for Him at all. All of my affections are for the stuff of the world. Well, has the Word done a, or doing a work in your heart so much so that it's transforming you? Is God doing a work in your heart this morning? for you to just respond and say, Jesus, I need you. 
Let's pray. Father, if you're doing a work in a heart right now, and someone in here who is not a Christian, that you would continue to just do that work right now, Holy Spirit. Do that work, Holy Spirit. Change that heart. Turn them from the things of the world to you. Turn them, Father God. If there is someone like that, that you know you are like that, can, I, can you just raise your hands? I can see it. I'll come to you. I'll pray with you. You can pray to God, and He changes your heart. So anyone here, right across this place, right across this room, you know you need Jesus. You know you, you need his, um, his, his, the truth of the fact that He died on the cross for your sin. You're in this place, and you know you you. I mean, you're probably most of us are like the rest of us, and and we need Christ every single day. So as we sing, as we sing whatever we're going to sing, we're going to sing to Him, make much of Him, because that's what we need to do. Amen. So Father, we thank you for this morning, for Your Word. It's powerful. It's living and changes. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Give us the ability to live it out in Jesus' name. Amen.